Let's talk about your connection to heaven. It's Swedenborg Live, and I'm just thinking, what a great subject. How could you possibly not want to get filled in on your connection to the greatest thing that can exist, this state of peace and happiness and this des- afterlife destination that we call heaven? Let's tight. Let's chat about it a little bit. My name is Curtis Childs. I'll be hosting the show where we get to hear from all of you and what's on your mind, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Joining me today, really, really uh, solid studious, charismatic, wise panel of awesome people. Would you guys introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Karin Childs, community manager and writer for Off the Left Eye, and wonderful to be here to interact with you, our wonderful audience. And hey, everyone, I'm Chris. I'm the director of digital marketing and uh, super excited to chat with you. And I'm Chelsea Odner, and I'm a writer for Off the Left Eye, and I'm very happy to be here. Great. Okay. Hey, we're all happy that all of you guys are here as well. Just so you know, if you haven't been on the show before, the way it goes is all we're going to talk about is what you want to talk about. So enter questions for us in the chat and we'll pull them out and, and answer them here. Hey, and if you're loving it you want and you want the chat to go, uh, our chat to go longer and longer, we if you contribute to this show, you can extend the length of this program. Today, our magic number is... $135. So if we can reach that in an hour, we can go 15 minutes extra. And it's just a thank you from us to you for supporting the program. The reason is a reflection passage this week is from Other Planets 135. And I'll read it to you just in case you forgot it. We have been created in such a way that while we are living among others in this world, we could also be living among angels in heaven and they could be living among us. Not bad. How would you like to have your neighbors be angels and then your actual neighbors alongside them. That's a cool thought to keep in mind. Hey, if we can, if we can get those donations and we can extend the conversation about this sort of stuff, otle.cosvox.com. We're going to begin while you're all getting your questions in and we're getting them in the queue with hearing from how all of you answered one of our questions. So we have a reflection question every week on this channel. This week's was, when have you felt your outer self corresponding with your inner self? And you've got to know your Swedenborg to really get what that is. I mean, I, how I interpret it is, yeah, when, when have, is the higher goodness and truth inside you uh, flowing right through? When do you feel like there's integrity between how you act and seem and how you really want to be? Karin, what did, yeah, I'm actually fascinated by that. What did people say uh, in response to this question? Here are some responses that came in. The first one was, I'm not sure I have an outer self, certainly not one that outweighs my inner self. Mm. So uh, that's, that's very interesting. Um, I think when I'm working intensely, it feels like my outer self is gone or more like it's in support of my inner self. So just getting immersed in work is one way. I tell my guru that I am right there at your feet going nowhere. Now that I am not present in what's going on around me, I am so confident that he takes care of outer me or my outer world as my inner me is right there with him. I tell my guru, Maharaj, that I am with you. Now, who cares what happens in the outside world? He is there for everything. So you're always there with your spiritual support system, no matter what's going on outside you. Whenever I help someone in need and when I scratch my dog's belly, When learning from amazing teachers from different walks of life and beliefs that confirm each other and resonate with me deeply, the corresponding truth of love, wisdom, and compassion shared here at Off the Left Eye, being led or guided to where you need to be in times of trial, 
or reading the Bible. And it corresponds to what you are going through at the moment. Ooh, that's cool too. Yeah. When I am sharing a Bible story with a client, I am inwardly delighted by the story and I sense that it is coming through in my voice and facial expressions. Mm, Nice. When serving others with love, when in silence in nature, sharing and expressing love with my husband. Yeah, nice. And finally, when my heart and head are in harmony, when I am happily being of service to others, when I am still and reflective, when I have been lifted by nature, pleasant human interaction, or divine angelic inflow. Oh, very nice. Very great. So many good ones in there. Wow. One that stood out to me was the wor- one about working and that when you're really concentrating on a task, just it's a whole different world than when I'm sitting here and like reflecting on myself and my situation. It's just like such a better life to be doing something good and cool. Thank you everyone. I love for that for idea that people, when they feel like their inner and outer selves are aligned and, you know, corresponding with each other, two people at least said that they just feel like their outer self just kind of fades away or becomes like translucent. So it's just, you know, letting the inner self work through it. So I think that's such a cool way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Just being immersed in what you're doing or how you're serving or, or just in what's, what's around you, like connected in a deep way, really beautiful answers. Like that's the system and the outer self is actually not quite built or designed to be running the show. It's meant to be in harmony with, be sort of an adjunct to the inner self or like a, you know, an enable, enabling device for it. So that's cool to think about it. Clicking in and, oh wait, this is how it's supposed to all go. Great. Hey, so let's, um, let's do some questions. Let's see what the people are asking. First one we got. Nana Rosebud. Hey, Nana. I feel like I feel like we get her pretty often on the show. So I just want to acknowledge like it's great to see you here. Thanks for asking the questions asked in the Garden of Eden, where Eve was speaking to a serpent. You're all familiar, I assume. Could that talking serpent possibly be of an alien race? I always thought so. What? Because if you're going to there's this very famous story of Adam and Eve, and there's some stuff that goes down in that that just is not standard fare, is it? We have a talking snake. And what does Swedenborg say? about how that's possible or, or what it means. Yeah, Karen. Swedenborg learned that the early stories in the book of Genesis, including the Garden of Eden story, are from some very ancient literature that he calls the ancient word, which, which was written in divine allegory or divine parable. So it's not a literal story. This is what Swedenborg learned about a literal talking snake and literally one woman who listened to the snake. And um, it is an allegory and all of the characters and elements in there are things in the human mind, in the human psyche. And the snake is actually a part of all of us, which is that um, outer uh, sensuous awareness, like the, the level of our physical senses. And God created that for good. It's supposed to be a good, uh, we're talking about our outer self. It's supposed to be a tool for us to use in this world and is very useful. But what happened was people became more and more enamored with that level, with just sense experience, physical sense experience, and gradually turned away from that inner voice of God, this inner self that is is connected with God in and spiritual reality. And so that snake enticing Eve is that means that sensuous level of of human experience that 
enticed people away from listening to the inner voice of God. And so that's basically <laughs> what's going on there. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking we were just with that reflection question, we were thinking about how the, uh, we have the inner self and the outer self and that the inner self, when the two align, it's really the inner self that's working through the outer self. And so this story of the snake sort of ending up directing the show, you know, like convincing um, Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is really, that's a sort of, in a nutshell, a picture of the outer self kind of taking the reins and being like, I'm in charge now, do what I say. So that's sort of a perfect thing to follow on that. Sure is. And yeah, Chris, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to, uh, I know the depth of, of this story is kind of becoming alive with correspondences. And I just want to point uh, to my more basic observation that we can even have the tools to be able to discern that there's a deeper meaning here. And I think that's just like for anyone new to Swedenborg or anyone that just appreciates like the general idea that Bible stories have a story about you in them and in your growth. That to me is just, that's purely fantastic. Yeah, because how how is God gonna give us a revelation that, that isn't about me, or isn't about you, right? So so I, that's a great point that, that that it comes alive like that, and it is a little bit alien that you know this snake is this state of life that is is alien in that sense of the word, like is is not the life we were meant to live in. To have the snake t- telling us what to do is the thing that leads to this this problematic sort of disconnected, disjointed state that we find ourselves in. And you notice in the reflection question, people are saying, yeah, it's so great. Nobody's saying, oh, it's the worst. When my outer self and inner self align, everyone loves it. So it's just interesting to see like, oh yeah, we're this sort of less fun life that we have isn't how it's supposed to be. So it is a little, it's an alien experience, if not an extraterrestrial being. So thanks, Nana. That was a great question to kick it off. Uh, This is Matthew Bush for our second question. Our friend who asks, Jesus mentioned Abel in Matthew 23 as if he was a real person in reference to his blood and the blood of Zacharias. What's the significance or correspondence? Let's go back in to the biblical correspondences. So what's going on with Abel? And uh, that's not maybe not as bizarre, but a violent story. And what's that teaching us about light and love and, and all that sort of thing? Did I see somebody? Oh, Karen, were you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's important to remember that uh, Jesus always was talking in symbolism. So it can, um, you know, it's not only the the very ancient stories at the beginning of Genesis, but um, Jesus was, the Bible says, was always talking in parable. And we did a show called uh, Jesus Wants Us to Understand the Deeper Meanings of His Words. So even he was walking around on earth and talking to physical people, but he was also talking to spiritual people at the same time. And so he was using this language of symbolism, even while he was talking to the people right in front of him. So you can find this, um, this mixture of the worlds going on and he is talking (laughs) to different levels all at once. And so if he's mentioning Abel, it's going to be, um, the same symbolism. He, he is talking about the relevance of this, the symbolism that Abel represents way back in the beginning of, of Genesis, uh, which is charity or goodwill. That story of Cain and Abel is about when uh, in human history, uh, faith 
separated from charity or goodwill. And that did violence to kindness, you know, so in, in the story of Cain and Abel, Cain represented, you know, the uh, intellectual faith and Abel represented goodwill and just doing good to the neighbor and um, faith basically uh, murdered <laughs> goodwill in, in uh, as humanity was moving forward in uh, religion, how they did religion. And so Abel is that, is that goodwill that's supposed to be a brother to, um, to faith. You know, they're supposed to be united in, in love. And um, so I don't remember, I would have to look up the context of what Jesus was saying in that particular chapter, but that is what Abel represents. So whatever Jesus was saying, <laughs> he would be talking about that element of charity and goodwill. And, um, uh, you know, blood is, it has to do with truth and the life force that's supposed to be uh, within things, not spilled, you know, not, not done violence to. So I'd have to look up the context, but that's basically what I understand able to be about. Yeah. And I think, I think the, Ze the Zechariah, the verse talks about Zechariah, one of the prophets. And that's, um, so I think it is similarly in line with he's, Jesus is saying, I've sent prophets to you and sages and that you, you haven't listened to them. You instead you killed them. And so this uh, it is, I think on a large scale, like what you're saying, Karin, that, uh, it's reflecting you've done this violence to the to the word and they, that that's really harmful. That's sort of like the message that's being sent. And Jesus is coming to correct that. But of course, he, his own life is then embodying that same prophetic nature of the violence that's done to the truth when we remove its connection to love, when we take the truth and um, separate it from love. It could almost seem like, oh, well, it's a little bit less real if it's not really about people it's just about concepts but i find that once i sort of sink into that actually it's a lot more moving and, and profound because sure if you just think of it in an abstract oh you know faith killing love maybe doesn't evoke the same emotions as a you know, brother killing a brother but then when you think about how that actually plays out like throughout history you, know, you think about what when people take religion and use it to harm others. When you just think about anybody who's wrapped up in ideas, who lets that drive a wedge between them and loving people, um, actually it it's feels like a lot more, oh, this is a statement about, about so many tragedies, not just one tragedy. And, and actually, because if, you know, Cain kills Abel, okay, we can, maybe we feel sorry for the person who got killed, but we don't know like what it could have been that he deserved it. Not that you can really deserve it, but what I mean is like, oh, he's protecting him. It's different when it's like a quality is killing, like faith is killing love, which is always a tragedy. No matter, there's no, there's no extenuating circumstances that could lift it. So to me, it becomes like, wow, this is that, that story really starts to hit me in the heart, you know, when I see that. So. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's interesting to think about like, uh, taking that sort of correspondence idea, you can appreciate, I think kind of, you can get more personal with, with these books of the prophets that seem very like, what does it matter to me? You know, but to actually start to appreciate like the quality of truth that Jeremiah is telling when it's that book or Zechariah it has a very different voice, like these different voices of the prophets. And they're all reflecting kind of states of mind that, we can get into and then the way the Lord is trying to connect with us, you know, like, so sometimes we're in the state where we need the Jeremiah kind of truth to come help us, or we need the Zechariah and, 
And then how are ways that we resist that truth? Um, you know, like the people often resisted or even killed the prophets. And uh, so it kind of gives you a way in a little wedge to get, to get a little more, I think, personal relevance out of, out of what's otherwise very sort of weird arcane books. Yeah. It goes from something that somebody could tell you, you need to like to something that you're like, wow, I, I want to, I want to learn this. So, Hey, thank you so much for the question, Matthew Bush. I really appreciate it. Let's go on to our next question. If you're just joining us, you can go to otle.cosvox.com, donate to help us reach our goal of $135 raised for an extra 15 minutes of this show. We're 15 minutes in and we are 0% of the way to our goal. So let's make it happen, guys. Hey, next one is from Sean Smith, who asks, this is a great one. Are there any suggestions on how to feel any kind of connection to my angels? Because can't it just, I, I've been in that state. What? I need anything, any kind of sign here. And so I feel like in this time of global struggle, don't don't we all need a little more assurance that we're not alone? So what, what can we give them as anybody... Got anything that, that springs to mind? Chris, yeah, you want to kick us off? Yeah, well, one of the things that always amazes me about Swedenborg's teachings is that, you know, so he's so clear that we were alive, you know, in large part due to the connection that we have with heaven and with the Lord through heaven. And so just to acknowledge first and foremost that um, we are always connected to angels in any moment of our lives. Um, for me, to take that a bit further, I always... Um, think about like, uh, you know, people say, you know, you're triggered, uh, stuff like that. I think about like heavenly triggers, like what are the things that I can acknowledge about myself that put me into a framework to acknowledge my connection with angels? Because when I, when that happens, I begin to kind of uh, be more consciously aware of the fact that, oh, wow, I heaven really can flow through me. I really can be a conduit for heaven into this world. So, you know, for me personally, gratitude and usefulness. Those are like the two heavenly triggers that I have that instantly put me into a place that's harmonizing with my angels that are connected to me. So for what it's worth. Well, that that's good. Let's pause on that for a second. Gratitude and usefulness, you said, because that, so how would you, how would you practice that in the, in the moment? Can you just give an example, like walk me through uh, doing that? Yeah. Um, I mean, gratitude for me, it's more of a meditative thing in the morning and at night where I literally try to clear all that headspace from any other, other, you know, muck around my stressors, the other triggers that aren't heavenly perhaps, and um, just get a sense of, uh, A, I have a job where I can promote these teachings out to others that I believe in so much that is so revolutionary. Um, and the sense of gratitude in a meditative sense that just allows me to breathe and refocus on what's good instead of constantly letting what's bad control my life. Cause it's so hard to see my connection to angels or feel it when I let that narrative play out constantly. So literally just creating some space to say, Hey, there's the other side of this whole narrative, which is I am connected to heaven and angels are flowing into my thoughts and feelings. Um, and usefulness just feels good. I mean, we've done so many episodes on, how usefulness can combat anxiety and how usefulness can um, help your mental state become more heavenly. So, yeah. That's great. Uh, I definitely find, okay, I'm looking at the living room and there's things on the floor. The difference between 
oh, why is it a mess to I go and pick up the first thing can be really huge, really monumental difference in how I feel. And maybe that's because heaven sticks in right there. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Karen, did you have something? Oh, I thought Chelsea put her hand up. Oh, Chelsea, did you? We're trying to have an orderly Zoom system, but it doesn't work when I'm not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was just thinking along the lines of what Chris was saying that, uh, you know, the practice of people will keep like a gratitude journal and think that's a cool idea to have like a, a connection to angels journal where you can take time at the end of the day and you just try to write three or five things that kind of you might otherwise have glossed over during the day, but that might really suggest uh, make you feel like, oh, you know, that was, I'm, you know, some, we were so tuned into the negative things that it's like, we might notice we were worried about something in a certain way. And then it happened and it wasn't as bad as it, we anticipated it being, but we're already on to the next thing. We don't take any time to notice like, wow, things really worked out there, or that wasn't as bad as I thought it was, or, um, you know, appreciating a new perspective on something uh, that, that taking the time to acknowledge there were angels at work in that and that that is a real connection to heaven that I have um, is is a cool thing and, and really taking the time I think like Chris was saying with your breath but really holding that thought in your mind and then just like really taking your time to feel it through your whole body how real that connection is and then move on to the next thing and like feel that gratitude with your with your whole body can really kind of make it um, embed it into your sort of cellular experience. Awesome. And I feel like the point you made about um, noticing when something does go well, instead of just move on to the next worry is so important. And there's a, I think it's a logical fallacy called shifting the goalposts, where you'll say, well, this, 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 you can prove my argument wrong if it's this. And then when they do, you say, well, actually, I meant it's this. And you move the goalposts over here, if I'm getting that right. And that is hell always does that in your mind. You'll be worried, worried, worried about something. Oh no, oh no. And then as you were saying, the thing turns out to be great or it, it, whatever bad thing didn't happen or wasn't, and instead of like, instead of breathing into that and saying, wow, I'm gonna apply that to how I look at the next thing. Hell is like, well, you gotta be just as worried about this thing. There's no time to pause and say, hey, we, I thought the whole premise was we're having a balanced look at life. So I just, I, I was great that, um, it's great that, that you mentioned that. Yeah, Karen. Yeah, I really agree with all that you're saying. It's connecting with our angels who are always there on the deeper levels of our consciousness t takes our willingness to make the effort to notice them. And in all the ways that you all are saying by practicing gratitude, by, by immersing yourself in usefulness. And I'll add in addition, yeah, noticing when things went well, instead of just always noticing when things went badly. Um, I'll add in that I try to make the effort like to notice when I, when I just feel this little awe of compassion or that was so sweet or that's so beautiful or you know just those little um, noticings of good things in life. Just remember I was, that I was just connecting with the feelings of angels. Like that's, those feelings are flowing in from God through the angels near us just to notice sweet, all oh, love. And, <laughs> you know, just uh, sweetness between people or acts of compassion or a, or a impulse to do something compassionate or to care about somebody's experience. Those are connections with angels going on all the time. 
And so anytime anything like that comes to you, you just can remember, wow, I, I just was aware of my connection with an angel through that feeling. And so it's, it's so much through uh, feelings. Um, and, and if we just get, get awake to that more and more and even make yourself, um, you know, pause and reflect, like you guys are saying, you, you will notice it happening, um, you know, every, every day in some way. Yeah. Awesome. And something that that was making me think of was that like, uh, it's also maybe useful to remember that when you, uh, you'll get a good feeling and you'll feel like, oh, that's the angels. And you might immediately be presented with reasons why it might not be, you know, like the, the doubt thoughts. But I was just recently studying in for a Swedenborgian life show about this spiritual equal, equilibrium that we're in for the sake of our freedom. And so it can feel like such a downer when we get sort of positive and excited about like some good feeling we're having. And then to be just like met with a negative feeling right next to it, um, it can feel like, oh, what's wrong with me or something. But that, that, that balance is actually allowed for the sake of us to really freely choose it, you know, so it's not uh, that we're going to, you know, life is never just going to be, I am constantly, you know, on the, on the, uh, aware of this cosmic awesome angel connection all the time. We're going to naturally have doubt as sort of a, a passenger on the ride. And, um, and so I just feel like even just recently in my life, I was felt this like, Oh, you know, sort of this really good feeling sort of inspiration connection. And was just amazed. I was just met immediately by a sense of like, Oh, maybe I was wrong about that. Shoot. You know, and, <laughs> and then to be able to, uh, you know, use, use this thought I had just been reading in Sweden to be like, okay, well, okay. Maybe that there's that balance there. So I just, I can choose it and then be okay that it feels like I maybe don't know for sure, but I can choose it anyway. And that's powerful. And that's a subtle but important distinction, the state you were in before you applied that Swedenborg idea to after you applied that Swedenborg idea. Because you know, before you're in the happy state and then you get crushed by this thought, it comes in and, and we're like, if I'm picturing you're feeling like I feel when that stuff happens, I'm in this state of suffering now because all oh, this, this thing that I care about has been harmed, this feeling. And it's, it's distressing and it's painful to an extent. But then you have this, this concept occur, which I believe that's an angel right there because Swedenborg talks about how angels actually can only flow into our concepts. So you have an angel come down and say that to you, and it doesn't take away this negative feeling you have before. But I'm guessing that the state you have now where you where at least you've named what that thing is and know that it's not fatal, that that's a much more relaxed. The suffering is the pain is there, but the suffering is is taken out. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. such a good point that the remembering of the concept was itself another angel inspiration. <laughs> Yeah, I want to um, I want to stop and say thanks to Joanne, who is a who is a first time donor. Thank you. You put us on the board. We are now a percentage. You think I can do that math of the way to our goal? Thank you so much for supporting what we do. I want to close this question by saying um, that I can get to a state where I am overwhelmed by negativity to the point where I can't. It's very hard to get any angelic the angels can't flow into my concepts because there's too much noise. So something that I will do is actually my therapist taught it to me, which is actually connect to your five senses. We were talking about the, the snake misleading, but there's a time when you just got to quiet the noise down. So uh, this is a kind of cool thing. So I want to give it to, to all of you. Um, so you, five senses. So first you focus on something you can see, you know, something you like looking at, just look around the room, find something 
take a deep breath. Do the same thing with something you can hear. Just lick the inside of your mouth for taste, smell something, press your hand, feel, and really just focus on those. That creates this, a little bit of quiet space. And then try, I, then I can try to open up to these, uh, these let, let these concepts come to life and really look, look for the angels in the concepts because that's the plane into which they operate. It's not just into like just waiting for something. Focus, try to focus your mind on inspirational ideas and watch them come alive and have power in the mind. That's when I feel like an angel is kind of infusing in there. Hey, speaking of donors, you may think that all we're ever doing is just saying, donate now, donate now. But sometimes we want to thank you for already having donated. And we're going to do that in the most powerful way imaginable right now, which is a raffle. We are going to raffle off. This is our October new donors. And every month we give a new donor some life-changing piece of OTLE swag. Let's put a picture of what people are going to get on the screen right now. Bum, ba, dum. So who is it going to be who's going to transcend the physical realm by having this thing? All right. I'm picking out. Okay. Linda Marie. Thank you, Linda Marie, for your contribution. And we'll be sending this your way. Everyone else, thank you so much. Uh, you're, you're, we can't do the use we do without those resources moving through. It just isn't how the world works. So thank you so much. And if you're watching right now and want to get on that list for next time, or you've already donated and just want to support what we're doing, otle.causevox.com. Let's, let's meet our goal this time. All right, moving on to the next one. This is from Colette Amarad, who asks, what, if anything, does Swedenborg have to say about the books that have been removed from the Bible? If the Bible is this treasure trove of correspondential relevant material, wouldn't we really want to find as much of it as possible? And is, is there anything missing from it? This we would talk about. Uh, and I think this is probably referencing, you know, there's been historical agnostic gospels and those things. I'm not super versed in this, but I'd, I'd love to hear what you all think. Karin, yeah. We'll just start by saying I'm, I'm thinking probably Colette is talking about the, there were Catholic, uh, uh, is it the Apocrypha, Chris? Or you, you come from a Catholic background, but there were, some books removed when Protestantism kind of refashioned the Bible. So I don't know if that's what she's talking about. Um, to my awareness, Swedenborg does not talk about those books at all. He is um, focusing on the, uh, the Protestant Bible that we're familiar with um, for the most part today. Um, but what, so he doesn't talk about um, specifically about books that were removed, but what I understand from him is, is um, God provided that core books remained in it um, that because he even in the, the current uh, Bible that I guess was was fashioned through uh, the Protestant history, he considers some of those more um, uh, more core the word, the truth um directly from God than others. So it's not even all of the ones that are still in there that um, have an equal um, relevance, according to what Swedenborg was learning about these books in the Bible. Um, so he was presenting that uh, there are particular books in the Bible that have um, a continuous inner meaning so that they're when they are together, 
they are telling a continuous complete story of the um, regeneration of an individual human being, of the spiritual journey of the whole human race, of the um, glorification process that Jesus went through. And so he presents uh, particular books in the Bible as that core story and says that other ones that are in there that maybe aren't part of this continuous uh, inner sense uh, telling that core story nevertheless have value in them um, in other ways and do have a uh, connection with, with the heavens in different ways. So I can only guess, but I could imagine that the same would be true of any books that maybe used to be included, but aren't now that they would have their own, uh, their own version of, uh, you know, their own kind of value. Um, but what the core story, um, God was making sure that was kept in there. Um, so that wouldn't be lost. Yeah, I was, uh, thinking about that. Um, I was, so in, with regard to this week's topic, the, the science to our connection to heaven was the Monday night Swedenborg and life show. And, uh, it's one of those things, yeah, where Swedenborg doesn't address the books directly. I mean, he says, like Karen was saying, which ones are the word um, with that continuous inner sense. But, but what he does talk about why they are the word is because they have, they are written in this language of correspondences. And that's something that uh, is, is kind of embedded in all of creation is this capacity for correspondences. And, um, and so the word is serving these books of the Bible that we do have are kind of this essential um, you know, container for correspondences that give that continuous inner meaning about our regeneration and teaching us about the Lord's process and everything. Um, and, and yet that's, so the whole language of correspondences, that sort of potential is everywhere in all of the various books that, that maybe were in certain canons and aren't in others or whatever you can, it's kind of fun to be able to have a, have a knowledge of this quality of correspondences that we talk about that Swedenborg wrote so much about. Um, Cause you can have that in your mind when you're reading other books. And uh, you know, there's, there's one that is a part of the Apocrypha that's called the, the book of Sirach. And um, that has this cool prayer in it that is talking about these, uh, you know, praising the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and the God of Abraham and, and sort of saying these different phrases to go along with each of those. And um, they, to me, to my reading, they totally line up with, uh, you know, from correspondences, I know Abraham has to do with love. And so this other phrase that's paired with it is a very kind of, I could see the sort of love focus of it. And Jacob is kind of our outer self struggle. And there was sort of this mighty warrior language to it. And Anyway, it's just like, that's just one little example of how, um, you know, we can draw from what Swedenborg says that these other books can have an element of correspondences to them that can kind of give you some, uh, a way to look for some spiritual nutrition that might be there. And that gets me looking around at everything in pop culture and in literature and wondering why does, why do certain things stick and endure? I'm thinking about, or I've thought previously about the stuff that sticks around Christmas, like the non-religious stuff, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I guess you can read into anything, but why is that story? I mean, at some point somebody wrote it. Why does it stick around? 
I don't know, man. Like a, a deer, you know, is, is a horse, which is a symbol of the intellect. It's foggy, and you need per, noses perception, and uh, an enlightened perception leads you to. You could just be making up stuff, but I just wonder if the stuff that just resonates with people does because it taps into some kind of correspondence, or is, is God saying, "Yeah, man, people really aren't that interested a lot of the time in this Christian stuff." All right, I'm going to find a way to get this broad, because obviously Santa. Is a, is a God figure and, and coming and giving these gifts. So I just, it just makes me wonder if not everything, but maybe, you know, you know, we, we've looked in this show, Chelsea, you did research about the hero's journey and how that parallels, you know, these elements of scripture. It could be that not everything is, is densely packed nuclear powered correspondences like the Bible, but it just might be in a lot of the stuff that sticks around. Okay. That's, that's all I want to say about that. Uh, Karen, yeah, do you want to try to follow that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree, because I, I'm working on a show about what Swedenborg calls the ancient word, which was a much, much more ancient, the first written spiritual literature. And then that kind of um, uh, got the meaning got lost, but it, it, it uh, morphed out into all these different uh, religions and cultures and stories and yeah, when you say mentioned the hero's journey, that that basic story of the human journey is in everything, and it's also in nature. So it's in the deer and in the noses, and so it is. This story is everywhere, and so like Chelsea's saying, you can you can find that symbolism in you know any books that weren't retained in the current Bible, or you know, and everywhere you can look for it and find it because God works through all these different. Uh, vehicles to reach us wherever we are. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. I, I don't want to let too much time go by before I say thanks to Shelly who donated. Everyone at home can see the names pop up way before I even see them. So, but thank you, Shelly. We just want to take a second to say that's awesome that you did it. If anyone else wants to give it a shot, otle.cosvox.com. And I just, Karin, your, uh, your comment there is this cool blend that Swedenborg often is of I don't know what the right word for it is, but ecumenical, like everything has value in it. And yet something, the Bible is super potent. Like for some reason, he he, he spends all this time unlocking it. It's this tr absolutely priceless treasure. And yet it not being the exclusive way to access correspondences doesn't take away from its value. So it's a very satisfying, like, it's not just like it's all good. Because if it's just all good, then we, we already found what we're looking for. There is like stuff to seek and get into. But yeah, it's not just that there's a certain walled garden that has God's connection to us in it. And everything else is just pagan. Nothing. No, there's like good in, in all things. So I just love that uh, dynamic that it's throughout Swedenborg in a lot of different areas, but, but here as well. All right, let's, let's rock on to uh, AB who asks, does Swedenborg talk about meditation or breath work as such? In deep meditation, one can have many experiences like his. Okay. Chris, let's start it off, man. I, I don't need to say anything. <laughs> well, um, one of the phrases that Swedenborg uses a lot is, uh, you know, him meditating on the word. Um, and uh, even if you read uh, biographies on Swedenborg's life, he kind of got down uh, a slowness of breath and a, and a very keen concentration on his subject matter early in life. Like that's, that was kind of his approach to centering in on what he was doing. Um, and I think that throughout the course of his life, um, 
kind of without distraction, a complete uncanny focus on his material so that he kind of opened up his heart and mind to what he was uh, reading or meditating on was his style. Um, and it does seem like obviously a pretty favorable way to concentrate on scripture. Absolutely. And that was a huge part of how he did the Swedenborg thing, right? Uh, Chelsea. Um, yeah, I think uh, he, Swedenborg definitely in his, for his published works, his mission was to sort of teach people about this thing called the new church or like this era of, of this new awakening um, and way consciousness works and learning about the spiritual, the reality of the spiritual world and heaven and everything. And um, so he never quite goes into saying, talking about meditation directly, other than what Chris is saying of just saying meditation on the word, that that's very valuable to study the um, word. But yeah, in his own records, he does, um, he talks about his own experience and you can kind of glean some information of what, um, of his, of, of things that are like meditation. And one of them, probably the main one is just, he talks about the value of reflection and, um, and that, and how powerful that is for our minds. And I feel like it really just lines right up with the science and research that there is out there about the value of mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. Like that's really his, that practice of reflection. Like that's, that's the keyword you'd look for in Swedenborg is reflection maybe rather than um, meditation. And, uh, and then he talks about, this what he would call internal breathing and um and being able to uh slow his breath down um and and again it's this it's paired with the fact that he had this sense of what the spiritual world was around him so he uh, and how the spiritual world connects and corresponds to parts of our body so that our breathing and our heart rate he could sort of get tuned in to societies in heaven that would affect his breath and, and heart rate and stuff. And he would sense that in his body. So it was, it's a very kind of cool embodied form of meditation that, that he seems to be describing, which we have better words for now because it's so much more of a thing um, to talk about that kind of meditation. And the one, the one other element that, uh, I thought to touch on is that this um, AB is saying in deep meditation, one can have many experiences like his. And I just recently was reading in Swedenborg's uh, letters, his like the records we have of the letters that people wrote to him and that he wrote to other people. And there's this one guy who is particularly interested in saying, can other people communicate with spirits like you can? Um, and, you know, like I have a friend, you know, <laughs> really like the person was interested for themselves. Yeah. And, but he did say, I have this friend who, is who the spirits are the, like his life is overwhelmed with spiritual communication, like in a, in an unhealthy way. Um, and, and so Swedenborg wrote back to this person saying, um, you know, the only reason why I have spiritual communication is because of this purpose that I have, you know, this mission to, to reveal this inner sense of scripture and teach people about the new church and everything and write these books. Um, but he says, the angels have told me that your friend that the spirits are talking to that happened because he was doing deep meditation and uh, that can happen. And, 
And if it's bothering him and he wants that to stop, he needs to just, um, you know, pray, pray to the Lord Jesus Christ and get, uh, and that, that could be healed. It was really an interesting thing to happen upon in Swedenborg's letters that he distinctly says, okay, yeah, that deep sort of doing certain deep meditation practices can open up this connection with, um, with the spiritual world, which can actually mean it's not, you know, that can mean good or negative experiences sometimes. And, uh, but so having a, uh, having a focused intention of connecting with God, you know, and with heaven is what can help ground that sort of exploration. So anyway, those are some thoughts. I hope some of that's useful. Oh, dude, it's all useful. A rare peek into Swedenborg giving medical advice. You (laughs) never get that. We're always like, well, he really focuses on the concepts and the broader framework, but there he's saying, okay, this is why that happened. Here's how you stop it. It's, It's awesome. And I want to amplify a point that you made in there. Make sure everyone caught that. We're talking about our connection to heaven. The heaven, the different heavens, the different societies of heavens have a different breathing patterns that Swedenborg could slip into and breathe with those heavens. And I just want to mention before I forget the most ancient people, Swedenborg talks about people way, way, way back at the beginning of human spirituality who had this amazing connection all the time to angels and they got visions and dreams. And why were they so hooked up? They breathed differently than we did. He has this whole huge catastrophe that happened where we went from this internal breathing that you mentioned to external breathing. Breathing is everything uh, to Swedenborg. So sorry, I'm getting a little breathing hyped right now. I got to catch my breath. Karin, do you have anything? (laughs) Yeah, go see our episode called uh, Neanderthals and the Breathing of the Ancients for a little bit more about that. (laughs) But yeah, my theory is that Swedenborg didn't like write about here's the method that you can go into meditation and open up the spiritual world because he knew that you gotta it's so important to get your heart and mind a lot heart and mind aligned with God and heaven because if you go trying to meditate deeply and you're not striving that direction you can invite in all sorts of negative spirits that are going to really harass you and so I think he was like wanting to give this you know, this direction, the new church direction, which just means love of God, love of the neighbor, like get your mind and heart pointed in that direction, get your lower ego under control, all these things. Um, That was the important thing that he wanted to share with the world because he knew we're all going to be there in the afterlife soon. (laughs) If you, if you sense it while you're in this life or not, doesn't matter because you're going to be there soon. So, so get, get your heart and mind aligned with heaven and then, yes, um, in addition to that, absolutely, meditation and breathing can um, make your awareness uh, open up, but Swedenborg wanted to open up safely. Therefore, he wasn't sort of giving this manual out to everybody. <laughs> he wanted to just tell us, like, get your mind connected with God, first and foremost. That's right. You Use, use uh, under the right. Do not use under the influence. It just is awesome and satisfying how deep... Swedenborg's worldview goes into the body and how it works and that you just would have to have that. And we talked, I talked about that in a recent news from heaven. I won't belabor it here, but let's move on uh, to the next question. I do want to play some intense music dun, 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 and say we're in crunch time to meet our goal. There's only a few minutes left and we're way behind. Are we going to do it? Are we going to do the extra 15 minutes or will we crash and burn? Find out in a few minutes. All right, let's do uh, otle.cosbox.com if you want to help 
push us over the edge into a joyful extra 15 because I don't want to stop this, but I will. If I if I need to, I will. Babajun asks, did Swedenborg mention other philosophies or philosophers of his day, or was his philosophy influenced by any of the current philosophical theories of his time? So yeah, what's going on? In, is there a context for Swedenborg? Or does he just exist on some other plane? Yeah, I, this is not something I know a ton about, but let's, let's hear it, Karin. I'll just start by saying that it was definitely, I mean, Swedenborg could look back and we can look in, uh, you know, at his, um, at his world that he grew up in and everything that he grew up with both a big exposure to the Bible and a big exposure to science and, you know, whoever would be, (laughs) you know, his teachers in, uh, at that time. And so those were his, um, big influences. And I, I just remember uh, reading about how he, he was so uh, taken with Newton and wished he could meet him someday, but they didn't on earth, but they met in the afterlife. And um, so he definitely was learning all this stuff, I guess, mostly um, Bible through his Lutheran heritage and his father was a bishop, but science, just like every science that was out there. Um, what I do remember once he got he was starting to have his um, spiritual awakening. He was actually told not to read. I don't know if it was a specific um, sort of spiritual philosophy or something so that he wouldn't be influenced so that he, he would start now just um, experiencing like learning directly. Um, so there, there right. was a point, I forget what the book was, but I remember in a yeah. letter, him talking about somebody asked, Oh, have you read so-and-so it was maybe maybe it was a German spiritualist or something. And he was saying, actually, I'm not supposed to be reading that because I'm not supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be learning directly. So something about that. So, that is so thrilling to me. It feels the same as the, the medical advice Chelsea was talking about before to have Swedenborg come down with a specific there. Like I can't read that because that gets my wheels turning about, Okay, what what information is there? Any information out there that's better for me to not be cramming into my head? So anyway, I just I just find that so fascinating. Hey, I just want to say, and I, if I cut you off, I'll go right back to you. But a Robin gave, and Robin's gift pushed us up over <laughs> our threshold. We thank you so much to to everyone who's contributed. Another fifteen minutes on the way. Woo-hoo. This is air guitar. Oh, air guitar! You got to take the camera yeah. back. It's on me. <laughs> Oh, okay, right. Well, listen, it wasn't very good. Um, so, hey, so while we prepare for that, uh, Karin, did you did you have more to say, uh, or were you ready to to move on? No, that that was it. <laughs> okay, Chelsea. Yeah. So, um, great. I'll take my time. No, just kidding. We want to answer more questions, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, like I was saying, it's amazing how Swedenborg himself. And, and we kind of explore some of these interesting aspects of his spiritual awakening in the podcast, um, the inside off the left eye podcast, but uh, he, he was very learned, you know, and studied a lot and he really loved you know, Aristotle and, you know, Plato, like just these ancient philosophers and everything. And, and he, um, in addition to being very invested in like Karn was saying in the sciences of his day. Um, and he went through an experience where he had to even, I mean, and he was raised a Lutheran, like he was, you know, fully engrossed in this Christian theology um, from his upbringing. And he had to, he 
he had this experience that his understanding, his whole religious understanding was being kind of like clean, wiped, wiped clean where he, because it had to just get completely broken down so it could get built up fresh with what he would be learning straight from his, from studying the Bible and that the spiritual awakening, like the, the consciousness of heaven that he was having from that and his um, knowledge from the Lord uh, through angels and through the Bible that gave him this, these new principles about the way the spiritual world works and everything. Um, and, uh, so he, so that's, that's one thing. And also we, uh, Swedenborg is pretty negative about philosophers too, (laughs) where he writes about kind of the, the kind of, uh, tricky line that you walk being a philosopher because it's so easy with our minds to just kind of convince ourselves of anything and, you know, and doing, um, so there's kind of good ways to, but he also loved, he was a philosopher himself. He really loved sort of thinking in terms of philosophy too. So he was kind of, it was his own work he had to do too sometimes to like, uh, you know, reflect on his own experience. But, um, so he was in touch with some other philosophers of his day. I know like a, a, well, a German theologian, Odinger and um, Kant and um, uh, other people, like he, he was in the know and, um, but he was very one pointed in his mission where it wasn't sort of like, well, what is Kant saying? What is this guy saying? What does that guy say? And then maybe I'll come up with what I want to say on this subject. He really just felt like it was coming straight from, from heaven and from these like unmistakable, undeniable spiritual experiences he was having. And then he saw you know, the other philosophies of, and philosophers of his day through that, through that lens and, and had kind of the, the secret connection of being able to hear angels opinions on things. So that's, yes. that's pretty funny too. Oh, complex relationship with philosophy. And yeah, that angelic slant, like let's, let's run this under that, scan this under there, see what heaven thinks. And, and certainly it seems like the application of philosophy was a big deal. I remember we talked about Aristotle. I think it was Aristotle and that, you know, if you, if you're applying things to life versus just endlessly toiling in terminology, there can be a real good impact. Hey, Jeff gave guys, Jeff made a contribution. Thank you, Jeff. We're up $200 now. So thank you so much. We're well over our goal. Appreciate the support so much. Um, is there any more weighing in on the, uh, Chris, do you want to weigh in on the, uh, philosophers philosophical question? Yeah, and actually, um, what what I think is really relevant when we're thinking from this angle is, um, you know, Swedenborg grew up in a household that was Lutheran, as we mentioned, and the movement of Lutheranism that he grew up in was Pietism, and Pietism um, was kind of like notable for um, how you appear externally, um, you know, having piety, having a pious disposition was kind of the, the major goal of pietism. And if you think about it, um, what Swedenborg writes about correspondences is in a lot of ways a reaction against that because whereas pietism is all about how you appear externally um, and what you are seen to be doing, um, the correspondences, particularly heavenly ones, um, teach us that your, what you do externally is only as good as what you're kind of intending internally. And if you have good intentions um, and, and 
thoughts that are for the sake of your neighbor and for the Lord and being useful to that. Well, that's what qualifies your external piety. Um, to be a good person on the outside needs to be qualified by being a good person on the inside too. And so I just thought that's, a, that's an interesting religious philosophy that he grew up with that kind of was re- a reaction uh, later on. Yeah, right. Turn it on its head a little bit. Hey, before we go to Karin, um, Sharon, thank you, Sharon. Contribution came in, 250 total. Much appreciated. Thank you for uh, for believing in what we do and, and giving of your, your precious resources to it. Thank you so much. Karin, did you want to say anything more before we move to the next one? Yeah, just a last thing just to build on both uh, Chris and Chelsea mentioning his Lutheran upbringing, but but yeah, but he ended up speaking out against many of the philosophies in there. So it wasn't like he was um, sh- shaped by that in his his theology when he started writing it. And I think it's also notable that um, so much that are in his writings are, yeah, a lot of uh, Christian terminology, but there's so much Eastern kind of thought in there too. And I'm not aware that he ever like read Eastern philosophy. I don't see that coming up. And yet from this direct connection, he was getting a lot of those concepts, you know, that higher truth that is is behind all sorts of <laughs> all the different religions. So that's notable to me. Yeah. I mean, the elephant in the room is that he was influenced by angels and heaven and God. And, and that those influences were so in his face that he didn't have time to, at least after the, his theological period started, First of all, as I think Chelsea mentioned, just so much of his mind, his turf of his mind was ripped out and resawed that he was just even even his idea that he mentions that he used to think spirits couldn't hear his thoughts. But then he got educated. That isn't true. Just total restructuring and the influence of the spiritual world was so heavy on him that I, I just don't know how much unconscious influence from philosophy he had. I would say like if these lining up with these philosophies on earth is because those philosophies are reflecting a truth that you're seeing in the spiritual world. So of course, this is like, if you take Swedenborg at his word, but if you do, or take him close to it, it really, he was, you know, more influenced by his peers in the spiritual world than, than in the natural world. All right, let's keep, Hey, we're, we're into our bonus round. This is brought to you by Joanne, Shelley, Robin, Jeff, and Sharon. Thank you so much. And the question we're going to kick it off with is Preliminal, who asks, does praying require to pray under a certain name? I always say in Jesus' name. Amen. So didn't didn't Swedenborg recommend in a letter to pr- pray to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or was it in the name? Uh, does it matter what name we pray in? Wait, I'm going to sneeze. Go ahead. Somebody start. Uh, okay. I was like, oh, man, somebody's going to start up before I sneeze. Man. Okay, I didn't, but that was close. Go ahead, Karen. <laughs> I'll start out by saying, kind of like we were talking about with the Bible, where Swedenborg says, this Bible is so important, and the truth is everywhere. <laughs> you know, um, Swedenborg both um, places a lot of deep value in the name of Jesus Christ, but deeper than just the word that you would say, the sound coming out of your mouth is the quality that is embodied in Jesus Christ. Um, That's really what uh, the name of means um, when you're talking about a name of God. So Swedenborg does present that there's um, 
tremendous loving and wise power in in that name, in that um, aspect of God, but also says that there are endless, there's endless varieties in ways to approach God through all the different religions and all the different religions have their own names of God. We did a, the show, the spiritual meaning of names that went into, you know, touched on this idea of all the different names of God that people use around the world uh, represent different aspects of God, of the one God. And so everyone has a different kind of relationship with God. And so these names reflect different ways to approach God and different kinds of relationships. So um, I would say that the Swedenborg both uh, acknowledges that all those are, are valid and good ways to relate to God and to pray to God. And also he, he does focus on the, the, the particular uh, loving wise aspect of that manifested as Jesus Christ and that name has beautiful power. Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, one, one thought um, also along those lines is that uh, there's a quality, like, like Karma saying about the name having a certain quality and in addition to all the religions of the world, each of us has our own idea of God. And that idea of God is, is um, really kind of shapes who we are. And so thinking, reflecting on your own idea of God and, and is this, does this God, like how I picture God, does that really reflect divine love and this divine wisdom? Cause ultimately God, the infinite is what Swedenborg describes as the divine human one is, and is, and appears as a spiritual son in the spiritual world that is just radiating, um, light spiritual light and heat which is love and wisdom um and that really opens up a lot of uh and as a human then it's a a figure who is approachable who is who we can come to know who we can connect with on a really personal level or even see as you know a part of us there's that cool story in the word about the prophet lying on the person who's sick body to body like face to arms to arms legs to legs and that's that's this picture of how like the Lord Jesus is, we are that connected, you know, we have a one-to-one connection, like the Lord can know us in every level. Um, And uh, anyway, that, so I think like the, the key elements, and this is something that's reflected in sort of 12 step programs is this element of a higher power. Like, is there a surrendering to something greater than yourself and something that's rooted in love. And so that can be a lot of, it can take the form in your mind or a word of a, you know, so many different varieties depending on who you are um, and your state and that that's, uh, but if it's connecting you to love and to this greater wisdom, helping you sort of get a bigger perspective than, than your, you know, our isolated sort of myopic ego focused perspective, then, then that prayer, you know, then that, that's, that's going to be a, valuable prayer <laughs> right yeah go great perspective on that chris do you want to add something yeah um i kind of am looking at this from a little bit of a different angle here um i um i grew up in kind of Protestant and catholic faiths um and one of the things that i had to do a lot of growing up was memorize like very specific prayers and and ways about referring to god and um and, you know, starting services, ending services. It was very, very systematic and formulaic. 
Um, and one of the things that I really appreciate about Swedenborg is when he says that like the Lord knows before you pray what's on your heart. And so whether it's, it's not like you need to like, you know, look on the page and read the exact word for God on that page, the way it is, but however you, you know, relate to the creator, like whatever that looks like for you, um, whatever word um, allows you to more intimately connect with him. Um, seems like uh, he, he knows he, he or she knows that you're, you're talking about him. Right. I, and this has been sort of said by everyone, but I'll just iterate and then reiterate it. The, you know, what, what's the name of Jesus? I mean, the name is the quality and the quality of Jesus is selfless love for what's true and good, which what's true and good is what's most beneficial to conscious people. Right. So if I'm praying in the name of Jesus, that means I'm praying from that spirit, thinking about rather than trying to get a, a leg up on something, to th- I'm thinking about how can I love, how can I focus on what's good and true and ask for what's going to make life better. When you get in that state, it sure does affect the potency of, of the experience of praying. And I would think Swedenborg even talks about when we ask for spiritual things, which you, when you get in the state of the name of Jesus, where you're just saying, okay, what's, what's really best for everyone? Can I have that please? Then, then you can get spiritual things. But if you're asking for physical things, you know, you only get them if it lines up with Providence and won't, won't harm you and won't others harm others. So name of Jesus. Yeah, man. Not everybody's going to resonate with that term, but the spirit behind it, everyone knows what that is and, and can feel that. So, all right. Hey, let's, uh, let's do another one. Why not? We're still we, we're still young. Pegby asks, why do some spirits, deceased loved ones of friends, connect with me, but not the spirits of my choosing, my deceased friends? Hey, there we go. We once had a, uh, a video, one of our most popular videos ever is why, why don't our loved ones communicate more with us who have died? And it was kind of asking this question, why is there or there? Why? Afterlife communication happens. It's just too widespread. It just happens. It just is a thing that happens. Why does it have these quirks to it? It doesn't seem very user-friendly. We don't often get to choose. People who really need those connections don't get them, and other people get connections they're not really looking for. So what's going on there? Karin, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I think you were going into in that show, if we can picture the idea of older technology or, te- or think of like in the, in, in earthly life, like the, the slow development of humans being able to connect with each other over distances like telephones and telegraphs and uh, now internet. And there are so many factors, even, even now when things have gotten a lot better, but you know, the, the connection it has to do with where the signal is being sent out from, if it's a show, and what kind of device I have, and what kind of Wi-Fi connection I have in my neighborhood. And, you know, there's like all these factors to whether something that is being broadcast can actually get to me clearly or not, or if my power goes out, or if I just don't get very good reception, or my device isn't very good. So, um, it's, it's very complex is what you guys were talking about in that, um, in that episode. So it's never, you know, love always wants to connect with love. So it's never for lack of uh, 
loved ones in the afterlife not wanting to be in connection with you. And I believe they always are. But whether we can be conscious of that, you know, like receive it into our more earthly consciousness has to do with all these complexities that, you know, some have to do with us personally, some do not have to do with us personally. There's, there's a Swedenborg described, you know, I think it's gotten a little better since his day, but he's described actually seeing like these fields, these like spiritual fields that were blocking signals from heaven. Like there are actual spiritual forces that make it hard for the connections to get through. Um, so it's not gonna just happen easily for most people. So, some people can more easily connect, but who you want to connect with, you can. <laughs> like picking up your spiritual phone, it's not just gonna connect um, easily. And yeah, it's a great question why. It seems like pretty often the the people who are the most affected by the loss of somebody are maybe not the people that get a direct connection with them. Not always, but I've heard many a story like that and in my personal life, I've kind of wondered, like, when it was my daughter, would it actually be harder on me if I got a direct connection with her? Because I just want her back. Like, you know, like, I maybe I'd have to start over. I just, you know, was conjecturing why other people actually got more connections with her than I did, her mother. But I, I did come to think, well, you know, I would just, like, that would not be satisfying for me. <laughs> That's just me personally. Um so there might sometimes be, um, you know, some providence in there. Like we we think that is exactly what would be best for us, but maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it would actually make it a little harder. And maybe it's better for me to just have this faith and this belief in her existence and her uh, connection with me without having a conscious awareness of it. And that actually led me to be um, like we were talking with about earlier with angels, noticing the angels with you. That led me to try to be more aware of maybe more subtle things that were happening that I could choose to believe were, were a connection with her. You know, it wasn't a, like an appearance and a voice and everything, but a, a feeling or a little coincidence or all these things that I could choose. I think that was Annika. <laughs> so, um, you know, maybe for me and my per personal spiritual journey, that was more useful than a direct experience, which does happen for other people. So I think there's, for one thing, that's it's a complex system that has a lot of problems in it still because of the state of the human race, but also just guided under God's guidance, there might be um, loving reasons why your journey is going a certain way and you are having conscious connections or not having them uh, along your earthly journey. And remember, earthly life is so short, we're all gonna be back together really soon. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of cool perspectives in there. And thank you for sharing from your own experience as well. Uh, Chelsea, did you want to add something? Yeah, I guess that one one additional thought, because I, yeah, I've thought about it myself too. And it's it's interesting. Um, the one, and, and it's so, it can be so personal. And so there is a lot of providence to it, I'm sure. And so I don't know if what I've reflected from my own experience will relate to Peg B's, but um, like, my sense is it's, it's, you know, these are real relationships. So we have, you know, I have friends in this world who I don't see very often. And I wonder why our lives just don't connect, you know, why our paths don't cross as much. And then I have other people who I'm just, our paths are crossing all the time. And that's just, but it doesn't mean my connection with these other people means anything less to me. It's just like the nature, the phases of our life. And, and I get, 
more and more as more of my loved ones cross, you know, into the other world that those relationships are just as real as they were when they were in the world. And, and so there's going to be naturally a kind of fluctuation of what, of, you know, when, when it's sort of best or like, especially if it's a very close relationship, it might be even more like not, great for it to have just sort of like random connections, you know, like whatever connections happen, it's going to be at the right time for where I am in my life and where that person is in their life. And, you know, there's got to be that kind of a alignment going on. Um, and, and so sometimes I think, you know, just how we can kind of relate to other people's problems a little bit better when they're not like, we're not like triggered by them ourselves or something like that. So it's like, I feel like if I have a connection with somebody's loved one who's deceased and I kind of get this sense of them, it can feel like, oh yeah, because that just isn't a big weight to me. So I just can kind of hear it and let it go because it's not as sort of deeply tethered into my relationship process or my process, you know? So I think we're, we're real people with real relationships that are lasting to eternity. And so God is carefully taking care of that in a different dynamic when you're talking across the, the, you know, spiritual world, physical world barrier, but, um, but so there, there's a, yeah, there's reasons for it. Right. And it's not just preference. It's not just, do they care or not care? There's complex reasons. And you reminded me of something I want to say way, way back when there was a question about how do you feel your angels connecting with you is I will definitely think about everybody that I have affection for that's died. And just think about them being alive, like their personality there. And I think about them upgraded because they're in the spiritual world. They're, they're advancing. They're angelic now, like a really amped up version of them. That can be powerful. It can, can bring home the, the reality of it. Hey, it's almost the end of the show, but let's just do a really quick, maybe one person answer this if you, if you feel it. Because I, I wanted to, I think this could be a cool little succinct way to tie it up. This is from Osmond Hoynshe asks, are there different countries and places in heaven like here on earth so does anybody want to just weigh in on that uh quick before we we go karen do you want to give it a shot sure um definitely swedenborg described uh parallel cities in the afterlife <laughs> um and and nations and countries um i feel like it was more like the, the lower down in the levels like more in the world of spirits it would be more sort of just like the earthly version of it. And as you go up, I think probably, uh, you know, there's there's less of those kinds of earthly divisions and things. It would probably start looking differently and you would be maybe connecting with not um, just people that maybe shared your earthly nationality or culture or whatever, um, as was very uh, divided in Swedenborg's day. Um, so yes, but, but I'm not sure it probably as the higher up you move in heaven, the more different it would, it would be is, is the sense that I get. <laughs> so that's a cool. Well, we're out, man. We are fresh out of time. So thank you everybody for your questions and for checking in with us. Uh, and I just want to say that, uh, the show goes on. We have, Coming up to, on Sunday, new episode of Inside Off the Left Eye, the podcast, How Swedenborg's Spiritual Awakening Began. We have a break week next week on Swedenborg and Life, but 
we have a show the following Monday, Advanced Technology Originates in Heaven. And I want to say thanks to everyone who donated today. And we want to go farther and thank everybody who's donated to us. We actually have a donor event Sunday, November 15th. If you've given to us, you're on our email list. Check your email, check your spam folder or wherever it went. There's an invitation there to an online event where we're just going to you know, give, give you a little extra access and, and say thank you for making this possible. And I want to say thanks to uh, the panel. Thank you so much for, for coming and, and sharing your, your, your light and your warmth. Oh, it was a delight to be here. Thank you, audience, for your, one, for your donations and for your wonderful questions. It's always great to have this time with you. Yeah, really grateful that I could have an hour and 15 with you all. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really grateful to get to be here. And I hope what we've shared can be useful in your life and help you grow. Okay, everybody, we'll see you on the next show. Hope you take this out with you and, and bring bring some light to the world. See you later.